Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Hi everyone, welcome to the fifth episode of season two of the Shaharul Nightlife, titled "American Roman Catholic Health Coach Embraces Islam." Yep. So, um, so tonight we are very blessed to have a sister all the way from the U.S., Florida, to share her story on how she came to embrace Islam. Before we begin, I'd just like to introduce you to the panelists here. On the top right, we have uh, Brother Kevin. Sidik Lim, all the way from Singapore. He also manages Convert Central. And tonight, we are so uh, pleased to have him also on the panel to ask any questions that he have related to her story later. And on the bottom right, we have uh, up here, we have Brother Skanda, all the way from Netherlands. Thank you again for always being part of this stream. We are very blessed to have you also in. And uh, next, uh, the show of tonight, without much further ado, I'd like to bring forward uh, Sister Danielle. So, Sister Danielle, uh, Assalamualaikum. Thank you for joining us today and to share your story. Maybe before we begin, you could share with us a brief introduction of yourself, a bit about Florida. I heard it's a sunny place. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, take it away. Yeah. Sure. So, um, I was actually born in New York uh, to a Roman Catholic family. Um, we were not very religious, but I did grow up, you know, studying the religion uh, at Sunday school and attending church and events, you know, for holidays and things like that. Um, I had a really nice upbringing with a really loving family, um, close-knit. I have three younger sisters. Um, both of my parents are alive and together. Um, and then um, I embraced Islam around the time when I was about 22 years old. Wow, mashallah. So quite curious, okay, maybe share with us a bit about, you know, what, what do you do as a Roman Catholic when you were young and eventually how did you come to become an agnostic? Okay, so, um, I mean, as a child, I just, I went to the classes that I was put in by my family. So I did take the uh, Sunday school classes and there we would learn um, about the religion. And um, the most, actually the thing I remember the most about those classes was like the juice and cookies that we got. So, um, <laughs> but I do remember asking questions about Jesus and, you know, things that didn't quite make sense to me. I do remember asking the teacher questions and, you know, sort of a sense of not really fully being satisfied or really engaged with the learning that I did there. Um, and just kind of having to get through that time, you know, as I got older, knowing I had to go there just studying and um, not really thinking much about it for the most part. When I when I became more of an agnostic, I was really, it was towards, I guess, high school and towards college age. And I just started questioning everything um, in the world around me. And being very uh, critical, so very, very critical. Um, and then I ended up, you know, being interested in things like critical thinking as like a, as a study subject. But um, when it came to religion, I just felt that people are just blindly following this stuff. They don't really know if it's true or not. They're just relying on it to sort of get them through life and um, not really critically thinking about it or studying it. Like most people that I knew didn't actually know very much about the Bible or know very much about what the religion really was or where it came from. And they were just kind of following it because of the fact that it was a tradition in their family and it's kind of what's expected of you. And then just passing that on to their kids because that's what you're supposed to do. 
And so for me, I started kind of, I mean, I was a bit of a rebel in general. So I started rebelling about against all kinds of social norms, like how you're supposed to dress, how you're supposed to look, um, and uh, which was a boon to my family. Um, and it gave everyone a pretty hard time, you know, through my high school years. But um, it really led me to, and, and I was actually pretty arrogant about it as well in my young age. Um, you know, I thought that people were just so mistaken and so misled. And um, I felt kind of above that at that time. So I was really humbled later when I actually started studying and reading and researching it rather than just forming this opinion, you know, based on my limited experience. Hmm. Um, so during that time, okay, I, I mean, I myself also was quite a rebel and <laughs> I do question a lot of things. Um, and then I studied philosophy. So that mm -hmm. kind of made me question more things about existentialism mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, me too. So how, how come, you know, you didn't want a religion to, to sort of, you know, guide you at the time? Um, did you think that it was like a man-made thing at that point in time? Yeah, exactly. And actually, I, I also studied philosophy. Um, I studied philosophy like existentialism was the, actually my favorite um, to read. Uh, you know, I had all of the books and um, then I got into political philosophy. And so when I got into political philosophy and sort of politics, um, that's when I started to think more about religion. So religion was kind of really in the background and not really something in my mind for a long time. Other than when I saw people like giving out Bibles on the corner, I would kind of snicker at them or laugh at them and, you know, just kind of feel above them for that moment. But it wasn't really something I was thinking about. But when I started started studying political philosophy, that's when I thought, you know what, like these political philosophies are pretty much religion they're they're trying to create a way of life for humanity but everybody knows that political philosophies are man-made nobody's questioning that but everyone believes seems to believe that religions are you know from god from this higher power and that they're you know divinely sent down and there's you know you can't question them um whereas like political philosophies you can find so many faults in them and um, you know nobody's questioning that because obviously they're from humans, so there's going to be mistakes, there's going to be iteration, and so I thought the best uh, I came up with this idea, which I thought was brilliant at the time, um, to compare methodically political philosophy and religion. And I thought by breaking those two down together, I could show that religions were basically just political philosophies from back in the day, created by humans, and maybe they added on this thing of like, oh, it's from God to try to get people to actually follow them. And so that's really what set me out on the path of, of really learning and studying religion in general um, and starting to look into, you know, so from reading uh, philosophy books and books on critical thinking and books on political philosophy, then I started to move into like, well, now I not actually need to read the full Bible. Now I need to read about Buddhism. I need to read uh, the Bhagavad Gita and understand Hinduism. And so that really, that, that began, you know, that set me wow. on that path. Also, you actually look into other religions, including Christianity, look deeper into them. Um, did yeah. you have questions for like your, your priest or pastor at the time? And um, I mean, kind of like, did they get you the answers that you needed when, when you were on this journey? That's a good question. I actually didn't. I was such a um, kind of, I guess, independent person at the time where I didn't rely. In fact, I, I guess I was also critical of 
of people and their opinions. So I didn't, I wasn't inclined at all to rely on, on people for answers about anything. Even when I started studying Islam, I didn't actually really go until for some time to, to actual Muslims and ask questions about it. It was all like internal and just me and the books. I see. And um, so, you know, did, uh, did you tell parents of that? Like I'm on this journey now and I don't think I'm going to be a Catholic, you know, I, <laughs> did, are they open to that idea at the time? So that took some time. And in, in that moment, like I said, I had been pretty much a rebel. So I had given my family a really hard time multiple times. Um, part of my, my journey towards Islam involved me traveling overseas and they were very, very against it. And I ended up doing it anyway. So I really did things mm -hmm. that I wanted to do regardless of what other people, you know, other people's opinions, other people's pleas uh, with me. And so at that time, I didn't actually explain very well what I was doing, like what was going on. I don't think they knew really anything that I had been going through and like what I had been studying, all the research I was doing. I didn't really share that with them. It was really so personal and it really had kept it to myself for the most part, even from pretty much, I mean, my friends may have known a little bit, but I think for me, it was just so personal and I, I was not really sharing much about it. So when it did come out, it was much later. So it was like, oh, by the way, like I went through all of this and I made this decision and now I'm a Muslim. Um, so it was pretty much, you know, it was a shock in that way, but it wasn't a shock because I had already been, um, you know, causing trouble in various ways, doing things that people thought were, um, you know, people didn't understand, I guess, so. Yeah, I think I pretty much understand the situation you're in. I'm also kind of like probably the black sheep in the family. Yeah. <laughs> the, the guy who challenged everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how, how okay, I'm so curious now because um, you seem like someone who has a lot of freedom, someone who enjoys freedom, uh, someone who would, you know, challenge the social norm. How, you know, did you get yourself into a religion that apparently is quite restrictive, right? Uh, you know, you have to put a hijab on and stuff like that. <laughs> so um, how did you, you know, transit from there to, to, to Islam? Well, that's a really good question. Um, it's kind of fascinating, I guess, when you put it that way. Um, so I think it's because I didn't, I wasn't looking at it that way at all. Like my intention was just to know the truth like everything I was doing was for me to be able to understand the truth. And even though my intention in the beginning was I'm going to, like, I already believed that, that religions were man-made, um, all religions. Um, I was also open to really looking at the evidence and understanding it and then following that. And so it wasn't an, about at all like well what does this actually mean to me other than the moment when when i did actually realize that islam is the the truth and that i had a really big choice to make do i accept it or do i just pretend i didn't know it <laughs> um you know that was really the moment where i was like that that those things kind of came to me in a, in a, in a second and it wasn't really about like oh i'm gonna have to wear hijab or i'm gonna have to eat this way because honestly when you read the quran which is my entry point to islam was reading the quran it's not presented in that way at all which you guys know um you don't read the quran and it's not like a list of rules it's not like the ten commandments um you know where you're just reading like do this don't do that do this don't do that 
what it what it does is that it it actually speaks first to your heart and it speaks first to your soul and it 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 gives you the information about why you're on earth and how you got here and what your goal is in life where you're headed and once you see it from that perspective anything you have to do is just about kind of following that roadmap towards success and so um and you know this is a there's a hadith um, you guys probably know from uh the wife of the prophet muhammad um aisha and uh, peace be upon him and may Allah be pleased with her where she said you know if the first thing revealed from god was don't drink alcohol or don't commit fornication the people would have said we'll never stop drinking and we'll never stop fornicating but what really happened was that first god prepared the people's hearts and souls and he guided them to what their purpose in life was and he gave them that knowledge of who he is so that people were in love with their creator and they realize that their creator's only intention in terms of telling them what to do or what's right and wrong is to protect them from what's harmful and guide them towards what's beneficial, then it's so much different when you follow the rules because now you're following the rules because they help you stay on this path towards what you really, really want, which is success in this life and the next. And because you love your creator, because now you know who he is, those things are very easy to do. Like, what would you do for someone who's beloved to you? Um, especially when they have your best interest in, in at heart, right? So God has our best interest at heart. He is our creator and knows what's best for us. And then also he's giving us these instructions so that we can be successful, not so that he can make things hard for us. And then um, I think, you know, the, the whole idea that Islam is easy, it's intended you know, even in the Quran, God says that he intends for us ease, not hardship. And so these things are really, they really are easy when you're coming from the right place. It's hard if you're just like a random person who doesn't know anything about God and doesn't know anything about Islam or why they're on earth and they don't have that real like love in their heart. And you're like, wear this, do this. That's going to be very harsh and that's going to be impossible. And we know that from Islam as well. So for me, it was really like, and because I did it on my own, I didn't have the pressure of people telling me what to do. I did it on my own pace. I learned in my own way. And I really inculcated that faith and that belief first. Then I began to implement, like, for example, hijab. It was at least a year or maybe even more before I started wearing hijab. And when I did, I wanted to so badly. And like the thing that was stopping me was like, well, what are people going to say? How are people going to treat me? What are, what, how am I going to explain this to people? But in my heart, it was like weeks and weeks of like, I want to wear hijab so bad. You know, it was like wow. real desire. Um, so it's a completely different way of kind of coming at it, I guess. MashaAllah, that's such a beautiful observation that you have of the Quran. And I think you, you, you put it really beautifully. Like, you know, people see restrictions as something that they don't like to do and it's stopping them from being free. But uh, what you're saying is these restrictions are like a form of guidance because we are seeking guidance from the creator, right? And the creator is the best person to understand all his creations. And yeah. therefore, you know, it's give you this instruction to follow so that it will help you to reach a successful hereafter. MashaAllah. I think Brother Kaven uh, has a, have a question for you too. Hey, Brother Kaven, okay. yes, what question is it? Hi, this is Danilia. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you, and uh, I, thank you 
so much for sharing your story uh, first. Uh, I, I think it was very interesting that, you know, uh, coming to Islam, your approach to Islam was, was something that was very balanced and I really enjoyed that sharing. So I, I wanted to ask you that, um, how did you then, like, in your pursuit of Islam, discover that Islam was the truth? And what made you eventually decide to, you know, take a leap of faith by taking the shahada? Uh, thank you so much for your question. Um, so the 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 path was actually like i feel like it started so much longer before i even knew or had islam in my mind um it was because i really wanted to i, I wanted to know the truth so even though i was doing all of that study and books and trying to prove religion was false at the same time i had a question in my mind you know like i would look at the sky and say like just the world is incredible. And I, I became kind of childlike in my curiosity about the world. And then that led me to want to know, like, I remember actually asking something out there. I want saying, I want to know, like, I just want to know what, like, obviously this is incredible. You know, look at the sky, look at the stars, look at the earth. Um, where does it come from? What is it? Is there a force out there? Like, I did want to know, I had that desire in my heart. And so, um, the path that led me there was really long. Um, what made me decide to actually declare my faith was um, after traveling overseas and spending time with some Muslims and seeing their lives and how they lived, especially under very extreme circumstances. Um, I just, and that had been after I had read the Quran for a year at that point. Um, and it gave me the opportunity to hear the Quran recited, which was very powerful. But um, I studied for a couple months after that, like very intensely reading anything and everything I could about Islam. And it was from that, um, through those studies where I thought, this is, this is the actual truth. Like, this isn't just about like, do I want to do this? Do I not want to do this? It was like, this is actually fact and truth. And so that's where I was posed with that, that decision to make. Do I, do I accept it? Do I go with what I know now? Or do I just pretend none of this ever happened and go about my life as I did before? And so that was really the moment. And my shahada itself was actually just me on the street by myself, me and God, you know, just declaring the shahada to God um, directly. And nobody at the time actually knew about it, but that was because of that kind of crossroads I reached. Sounds a very like a very beautiful experience you had with uh, Muslims uh, in the Muslim lands. Where whereabouts did you go to, as as in to visit the Muslims? So I actually went to um, Palestine. I was in the West Bank. Wow. <laughs> this has to do with my political interest at the time. So okay, yeah. <laughs> wow, beautiful. So so uh, what was was it beautiful that you noticed about Muslims that were diff was different from you know what you see in normal day to day life? Well, I think, um, so first of all, not all of the Muslims that I, I met were actually, you know, practicing Islam. Um, one of the things that, you know, for example, for me, having had been reading the Quran, I knew at that time, like, okay, these are Muslims. Um, and so like, for example, the Adhan, which is the call to prayer would be, you know, announced or be, it's pretty much sung, right? Five times a day and you can hear it everywhere. And for me, in my heart, it was like so beautiful. And uh, a lot of the Muslims around me, they were all talking and 
joking and messing around. And I was actually getting irritated by them because I had my tape recorder, because this is a long time ago. <laughs> I had my tape recorder and I would record the event and I'd be frustrated. Like these guys are making noise over here and over there. Like I want to hear this. And so, um, you know, there was that part of it where it was just, it was that Evan that that reached my heart and it was uh, the recitation of the Quran that I heard that reached my heart and then when it comes to the behavior of the Muslims yes like I mean there was a woman standing in front of her house what used to be her house that had just been demolished with all of her belongings inside all of her money anything that they ever had in the whole entire family everything was in the home and it was destroyed and she's standing in front of it saying alhamdulillah alhamdulillah so I asked like what is she saying and they're like, oh, it means thank God. I'm like, thank God. How is she thanking God when her house just got destroyed and demolished to pieces and she doesn't know what, you know, like how can anyone thank God in a situation like that? So part of it was just that fortitude and that commitment to still being thankful, still being faithful, still um, being kind, like many, you know, there's, there's all different key people everywhere. So there was, I saw the whole spectrum of people, the people who are super angry, they want revenge, they want to do bad things to the people who are like, this is God's will. And I'm going to make the best of it. And I'm going to come out of this with the most pure soul I possibly can. And so it was those people who kept remembering, like, no matter what happens, it's from God. And no matter what happens, I'm responsible to maintain my faith to maintain my gratitude to maintain like my mem memory of what this life is all about and so that was so powerful to me seeing people under those circumstances still with so much goodness so much generosity like we went to houses where the people were not able to leave their homes for 30 days so they had very little food but whatever little food they did have they made it like a banquet for us for for these visitors that were coming and we were supposed to be there to help wow. them but they were pouring everything they had into just um serving us for that short time and and they would sit on the side i didn't, I didn't know what was going on, right um they would sit on the, yeah it was just that they were waiting for their guests to eat so that they could eat whatever was left over because they had so little so it was so many different things while I was there, um, but really that faithfulness and that commitment and that the commitment to goodness and kindness and peace in their own heart, even though there wasn't peace in their external environment. Yeah, I think what you said is really beautiful. I can imagine, you know, someone who is really poor or, you know, is really struggling to survive with the so little amount of food that they have, and yet they put themselves out there to feed their guests. Uh, because yeah. you have entered their lives and they really want to welcome you. Oops, no worries. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so for for so I think you know this this alone shows a lot about the character that they they're trying to portray. You know, in the hadiths about you know how they should treat their guests, and so mm -hmm. they are very. This this alone is a very powerful action from from um, the Muslims that you met. I mean, yeah, yeah, of course, all of us are imperfect people. Um, they are in any religion, so you can find you know people who really practice it and people who just you know just go by the motion, right? Yeah. So we should not look at the people, but more look into the holy scriptures that that we have, and you'll be guided in in a beautiful way. Also, a brother here has a question about uh, Arabic. Uh, maybe uh, Kevin, Kevin, you have that question, right? Oh, it's good. 
Brother Iskandar. Oh, Brother Iskandar. Oh, sorry. Oh, okay. Well, first of all, Assalamualaikum, Sister Danielle. Um, yeah, I, I was wondering because you said you went to Palestine, right? So did you communicate with these people in English or more in Arabic or, do, you know, um, because it seems even more extraordinary that people who don't even speak your language w would treat you like this, right? So I was just wondering. Yeah. Um, yeah, so actually a lot of people spoke English. And so that's kind of the funny thing with Americans, right? We usually only know one language <laughs> and everyone else seems to know more than one language. Um, so yeah, most of the people could communicate with me in English. Um, and even the people who didn't, you know, weren't fluent in English, they knew enough English for sort of basics. And then while I was there and before I left as well, I prepared a little bit to understand, you know, some basic Arabic. Um, you know, just words and phrases. And um, I tried to pick up more while I was there. And then people were so generous as well. So they taught me like how to write my name in Arabic. They taught me the Arabic alphabet and they were trying to teach me, you know, more Arabic as well. So that was nice because I had a little bit of familiarity with, with Arabic um, before accepting Islam. Beautiful. I think um, the earnest you know, honestly, you know, helping you and all that, I think it's really beautiful. Um, maybe share with us also a bit about, you know, okay, now you're coming to the challenges that you face, maybe learning with Arabic and stuff. Uh, what were, do you have any misconceptions about Islam, you know, before you became a Muslim? Maybe you can share with us what were your misconceptions that you had? Yeah, definitely. I had, um, I mean, I had a fair amount of misconceptions, not all conscious, because growing up um, here in the United States, uh, you know, there's a big influence of um, Orientalism on a lot of the, the media that we kind of uh, consume. And so Americans tend to grow up with these little hints about Islam in all of the movies and TV shows and books. <laughs> and so You'll see like, um, and even nowadays it still happens. Like I watch some seemingly innocent movie with my kids and when there's the bad guys, it looks like Morocco, you know, like, what is that? <laughs> so um, there's a lot of that, which is unconscious. So you're just unconsciously fed these ideas and these, you know, sort of images of what a Muslim is um, growing up. And so, yeah, that was there. Um, then, of course, you know, 9-11 happened and I was actually in Brooklyn during uh, that time studying um, at college and my college classroom that I had that morning at 9 a.m. was facing the Twin Towers. And so I watched it happen with my own eyes. Um, I experienced the aftermath. I smelled the, you know, death and burning in the air for months afterwards. And that was, you know, incredibly um I don't want to say traumatic, but it was, it made a huge impact on me. And it was a lot of suffering, you know, to go through at that time. And so um, I had already kind of embarked on this uh, religion as man-made journey. And so when this happened, it was like, well, now this is even better. Not only am I going to prove that religions are man-made, but I can throw this one to the, to the dirt, you know, kick it to the curb and show everybody that Islam is just a big sham, just like everything else. Um, so, you know, at that moment, without really knowing much and just kind of hearing that there may be a tie between something like a terrorist attack and Islam, you know, obviously it's a huge misconception, um, which not only I had uh, to a degree, but 
you know, everyone else had. And then me being a critical thinker, right, and someone who always challenged every single thing I encountered, um, you know, obviously I wasn't going to take it at face value, but I was going to look into this. And it was like my initial understanding was that there is some kind of connection between the religion itself and then this horrific attack. So I think that was probably the biggest misconception. But everything else, of course, was there too, like um, just the, from the subliminal messaging, like, you know, what women, how women are treated um, and that it's foreign, that it's, I think that's probably the biggest misconception, which I really going to just take a minute to say that here is that it's foreign, that Islam is like for them, for these other people somewhere else, and that it has something to do with ethnicity or where you live. Um, and not that it's actually a universal message that's intended for every single human being on the planet. I'm really, I'm really glad you said this because, um, uh, I mean, personally, I also had a lot of misconception when 9-11 happened. I saw it on TV. I was uh, 14 years old then. Um, and, you know, in the school, in the news, everyone's talking about Twin Towers and stuff. And afterwards in school, we also saw some, I would say, things that are not right. Like, for example, the behaving videos and stuff. <laughs> Um, which you know you're not supposed to be seeing that at that age but i don't know how i got to see it but when we saw those things we're like oh no this is not a good religion at all like you know yeah. these people ought to to go to, to jail or something right so yeah. i had such a big impact on me i i see the whole religion as uh, maybe demonic in some sense yeah yeah stuff for love <laughs> and here i am today here as a muslim myself <laughs> yeah and and um that's a funny thing right yeah and and i mean the 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 subliminal messages that you said i mean like people like to brand it as you know in singapore maybe malay muslim right malay is the ethnicity and the muslim but Muslims are for is universal is for every religion and as long as your culture does not you know um, put the religion the laws of the religion aside and is following the laws you, you can still practice your culture and people do not see that most of the time they just think it's an Arab religion yeah. or maybe a, a Malay religion here in Southeast Asia and yes. um, yeah and they like to use the word like Islamic terrorist right it's yeah they, they use the religion you know first and terrorist but but it's always uh, a few bad eggs that, you know, people start to zero in and think that the whole religion is like that. I think you, yeah. you perfectly you perfectly shared that uh, in your conversation. Um, so uh, what were, like, you know, the, the challenges that you faced yourself? Like, I mean, you shared about a misconception. Um, so maybe, you know, you, you have read about other religion and what, what, why was Islam the only one that stood out of, all the, the religions that you researched on? So I had read the books, like um, I had the Bhagavad Gita, um, at least some form of it. And I had, you know, read about Buddhism. Um, and, you know, they were interesting and I read them and I understood it. Uh, and, you know, it was a bit of a struggle to get through the Bhagavad Gita, I'll admit. Um, then when I was reading the Bible, that was also a big struggle um, to read and to understand, like to follow, like, what's the point of all this book, you know, like, where is this going? And the connection between the different chapters and the different stories and stuff like that. So when I was reading it, it was very much like, okay, I'm reading this for a project. I need to just understand this as best I can. Then when I began reading the Quran, the Quran was not, it was just not like those other books it was like it was talking to me. Like I actually would 
open it. So I used to carry it with me as I traveled around the city in the subway system, um, the underground trains. I don't know if you guys know the names, but um, so I remember opening it, like something was going on in my life, opening the Quran, reading from where I had left off the day before or the time before. And the Quran is helping me with my life, like with the thing that just happened just now, you know, like it's giving me exactly what I needed to hear or to guide me through that challenge in real time. And I'm like, okay, this book is really old. Like it's more than a thousand years old, but it seems to connect with my life right now. Um, and so that's why the more I read it, it just, it was, it was like, it was communicating directly to me every time. And um, the other books hadn't been, you know, not even close to, to anything like that experience. And so the other books fell away and I stopped reading other books and I just had this Quran with me all the time. And I still have it, alhamdulillah, like the cover fell off and, you know, I was like so used from just constantly reading it. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing is that there was so much in the Quran that is like just absolutely mind blowing when you think about it. So, um, for example, I remember when I read the the ayah that um, you know, which I I think is referring maybe to the Big Bang, which is still a theory, but it says in the Quran that everything was together and that He split it apart, and that's talking about the creation of the heavens. And I was like, big bang, anybody? Like, this is, you know, it's aligning with what we seem to start to be learning about the universe from, you know, using our our mechanisms that we have now. Um, the other one was that he created everything from water. Now, no matter what way you want to look at it, no matter what they say in science, um, whether you're talking about, you know, just whatever theories they have, humans are made up mostly of water. Um, you know, more than 70, around 70% water. And um, it's just that it doesn't leave room. Like if you, if you learn something in the world, like through observation, it aligns with the Quran. And so that's also really huge. And then the other thing was just the way the Quran speaks. It's not, um, it's obviously like nowadays too, like I've recently read the, um, or started to read the, the Mormon, the Book of Mormon, and it's just so different. You can just tell when a book is written by a person, right? This book, when you read the Quran, it's not the same. And there's a lot of it where you can just feel it that it's not written by a human being. Yes. I mean, I also had that feeling. I, One of the part of my reversion was I, I asked God and he spoke to me through the Quran in some sense. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you can see that video later. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I understand exactly perfectly how, how you feel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, um, so were there any challenges after becoming Muslim? Yeah. I mean, one of them was that, you know, I was an anti-religious person. <laughs> so trying to explain people to people that, now I'm a re very religious person. Um, it was like, it was really hard. And since I had done most of the work that I was doing by myself without really sharing what was going on with many people, um, pretty much anyone that I encountered, I would have to explain this to them. And so I remember I was actually in my last uh, semester of college and people asking me like, so what do you want to do after, after you graduate? And my answer every time was like, oh, I want to study Islam more. And they were just like, what? 
And that's before I told people like I am a Muslim, but I already was at the moment. Um, I just told them all I want to do is study Islam. And so I got a lot of pushback like, oh, well, how could that be? Like, don't you know how they treat women? Like, what are you thinking? Are you crazy? And then some people will just be like, okay, with a little face of like, that's really weird. All right. And then going back with my family, of course, it was really awkward because now like I'm all about this, like all, I want to like live, think, eat, breathe, you know, and drink Islam all the time. And it's just a bit much for your family, you know. So um, I was a bit overzealous. So that created a bit of friction. And then, um, uh, you know, just just it's hard to make people understand what you're going through when you've already been through such a long journey and everything makes sense in your mind. But now all of a sudden you have to explain it to people um, who haven't been along the ride with you. It just doesn't make much sense. And then there's a lot of fear. So my family, I believe they had a lot of fear, like, um, one of my sisters was very compassionate and, you know, literally crying. And she said, I'm just worried for you. I'm afraid for you. Like, what's going to happen to you? How are you going to be treated? You know, like, is this the right choice? And I got a lot of that, like with a lot of love, because thank God my family is very loving. Um, I just got a lot of that, that worry and fear for me and my well-being. Like, are you making a choice that's going to hurt you in the long run? So, um, you know, and then for me, just the, so I guess it would be that just the people who care about you trying to reassure them. And then also the the awkwardness of having to explain that I went from being this like rebel, critical thinker, anti-religion person to, you know, a faithful Muslim that looks almost like a nun. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> Yes, um, I would say that, you know, you are an awakened soul. And I myself, uh, when we first are awakened, you know, like from the matrix or something, we just get awake. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just wanted so badly to tell people there's there's a beautiful world outside this cave, right? And mm -hmm. and Islam is the truth. And therefore, you know, you try your best to show it to them and they just don't see it and you, you get overzealous. It happens yeah. to to uh, new reverts like most of us have this fire in us to to tell people this is the truth and and yeah I, I also had some friction initially trying to explain it to my family and realized over time that it wasn't really uh, so much what you say sometimes it becomes more like how they feel around you how they yeah. experience Islam around you and uh, I think um, we learn it over time Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes a long time, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it takes a long time, but yeah. inshallah, they, 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 I know they, they love us, and these these are just um, probably they are just concerned of us, and they they are afraid that you know we might end up like how the media shows us, right, turning to terrorists or something, which is not true. <laughs> right. exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, um, next question is like, um, so after you've uh, become a Muslim, maybe do you have uh, you say you're a health coach as well, right? I think mm -hmm. uh, Brother Iskander has a question related to health here. Brother Iskander. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I was just wondering what a health coach is. So could you explain that? Transformative okay. health coach. Yeah, yeah. yeah so um, I, I'm actually a fitness and nutrition coach. So um, I help women. I work with women and we work towards basically, um, so I see it that, we're made up of the mind, body, heart, and soul, and they're separate but inseparable parts. And so my work is really about reconnecting those parts so people can live 
the healthiest, happiest life and then really honoring their body as well because we're transversing this life in a body. And so caring for that body is something that we sometimes take for granted or we sometimes put to the side, but actually it's it's connected and the way that we respect and honor our bodies really impacts the way that we function in the rest of our lives. So I help women through various means. So sometimes I do fitness classes. I also do um, like one-on-one coaching and I work with women to just really up-level their life to, you know, have more vitality, have better health, feel better about themselves so that they can basically, you know, go and achieve more in their lives. That actually sounds like you're a classical um doctor right because it it seems that in western medicine it's all about you know securing the symptoms if you've got a disease or a pathological factor you know you 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 try to cure it whereas i think that in the past uh, doctors used to be more about holistic approaches and you know trying to prevent diseases is that something that you're also about like disease prevention yes yes it's uh, that's huge because um so much disease is related to a few things. Um, one of them can be inflammation, which has to do with our habits and, um, you know, eating habits and also just our behaviors and habits and of our mind and our emotions. And then on the other end, you have um, the, the mental side. So the mindset side and, you know, really setting yourself up for success and, and health in your life. And you're right. Like, that's what people used to do. Prevention and helping people live healthy lives. And nowadays the medical industry definitely is more towards like uh, treating the symptoms and just really looking at the symptoms, not really looking at where they came from, what they mean. And those are actually signals from our bodies to us. So we're very disconnected in that sense. So that's why I love that idea of like reconnecting the different parts of a human being um, so you can live a more whole life. But for sure, the holistic approach is what I'm all about. MashaAllah. My wife is also a personal health coach herself. Um, and I think you probably already know this, but you know, in the Quran, it says about eating not just halal food, but also toiban, which yeah. is wholesome food. Um, yeah. And also, um, do you maybe read before about the medicine of the prophet? Have you, yeah. have you, yeah, probably you have, have read this book. Yeah, so the prophet uh, gave us some ideas, you know, how to be healthy and certain food that you take can actually heal you uh, better. And yeah. uh, of course, so if reading the Quran itself has a potential of healing you physically and spiritually. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And but, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And now in science, it's amazing because just like science is coming up to speed in terms of like the cosmos and what happened in the universe, same thing with the human body. So like what you mentioned about the Quran, like now they're finding out the the benefits, the huge impact that, for example, meditation has. Like if you meditate for um, I think it's something like uh, 10 or 20 minutes a day for like five days, you can literally increase your your immune system by 50%. It's, it's effectiveness. And what is the prayer? It's essentially a meditation. What is it when you're sitting there making dhikr, making dua? It's in a meditation. And so these things are built into Islam that really benefit the human being on all levels. And then, you know, we're just finding out about these things in, in science. And same thing with the food. Like now we know what 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 does a strawberry do you know there's things inside the strawberry um the acid in the strawberry helps your immune system clear out um you know structures that are harmful to you so you know we're learning about these things in science so i really love um 
sort of discovering the new science that's coming out and how it really uh, bolsters and supports what we already have already had in, in Islam, you know, forever or not forever, but for 1400 years. So it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I think uh, what you said about holistic approach is, um, it's, it's funny because, you know, people look at it as going backwards, but actually we, it's these things have already been discovered a long time ago. Somehow the knowledge yeah. was lost. Yeah. Um, people look at science in the sense that you need to get some drugs or something <laughs> to, in order to to heal yourself. But actually, the earth is something that God has blessed you with all the benefits that you need to heal yourself. And I like that approach uh, that you are talking about. You know, holistic approach. Yeah. Perfect. Beautifully said. Um. So um. Do, do the panelists have any other questions because we are coming to the end of the, the stream and I just want to get an advice from Sister Danielle for, you know, people who are probably still in search for the meaning of life, maybe, or, you know, people who are starting out as new reverts, um, what would you advise them? But do the panelists have any questions? Uh, any more questions? No? Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, uh, so... Can ask a question if that's okay? Uh, so I, I really, really like your story, uh, Sister Rana. I, I really see like um, parts of your story that I can relate a lot to. So I recall when I was learning Islam when I was um, 18 years old then. And uh, I, I think uh, contrary to your experience, I was, I was kind of hiding my journey towards learning Islam because um, at a point of time, um, learning Islam didn't seem like the same as learning uh, another religion like Christianity. And I think it was due to the perception of Islam around the world. I was three years old when uh, the um, 911 happened. So um, I, I lived my whole life, I, le I lived in an environment where, you know, I grew up thinking that Muslims were terrorists and, and that was that, you know, there wasn't a pre and post kind of thing. So um, I, I hid the fact that I was learning about Islam because I was afraid how people would view me, right? And it, it's great that, you know, nowadays we have channels like, like, like this channel that we are sharing convert stories to normalize the fact that, you know, learning about Islam is just about discovering a religion. You know, it's no, no much different from someone uh, exploring religion. Other religions like uh, Christianity or B Buddhism, you know, is part of the process. And I also see myself, you know, in, I think, 2019 when I first got serious about Islam, like what Brother Fadal said, you know, like it's like coming out of the matrix. I started to wear a kurta, I started to wear juba, and I go to the mosque on Fridays. My family was so scared. And then I, next, next, the next month, I told them I wanted to go for Umrah. So they thought that I was going to get radicalized. And they... <laughs> <laughs> he got me back at home and they did an intervention. They were like, no, you can't go, you know, to Saudi Arabia. You know, you can't go there because, you know, you, it feels like you're going to join ISIS or something. And then <laughs> I, I had to tell you, you know, guys, there, there's McDonald's there. You know, they, they have KFC too. So that, that was something that I really relate to. And, uh, you know, I, I really, uh, when you were sharing your, your, your story, I, I thought back and I really recall these times where I had along my journey. So, you know, with regards to terrorism and the perception of, of how Islam is viewed in across the world, especially in the US nowadays, right? And and of course, I wouldn't have that um, experience in Singapore because we are quite a multi-religious society, right? H how was your experience then, you know, after becoming a Muslim and, and managing that identity as Muslim while trying to, you know, keep yourself safe from the perception that Muslims are terrorists? How was your experience then in the US? Okay. Well, I think that I really took that on um, for a lot of the time as a kind of responsibility, at least later, I guess, as I as I kind of developed myself, then I started to to feel like a representative. Um, when I, you know, before I put on hijab, I was working in Manhattan in uh, the middle of New York City, Times Square in a retail store. And so I put on hijab in the middle of my, my time working there. 
And after wearing hijab, you know, I noticed some of the things that happened. Like there was a person I spoke to on the phone and then they had to come in and pick something up. And when they got there, they were like, oh, I didn't know you had that on your head. It was like, well, that's because you talked to me on the phone. Like, what are you talking about? You know, you didn't know my shirt was red either. Like, what? So it was like this funny thing, like people, you know, just interacting with people and realizing that they're so like weirded out by this idea that like a Muslim can be something other than what they, what they saw in those movies when they grew up or what they saw on the media. And, um, you know, then I had other people where like, here I was my, a new Muslim, you know, trying to really be patient, be kind, be like the best person I could possibly be. And then I actually had someone, um, a really tough customer, you know, being so nasty and rude to me and everyone else watching. And then when that customer left, people approached me and they said, how were you so patient? How did you handle that like that? You know, and I was like, well, I'm a Muslim. So it was like this. Um, I started to realize that no matter what I do, like I can help change people's perceptions just by how I behave and the fact that I'm a little bit different than what people expect. And so I really embrace that. And I actually love that. Like, I don't I don't you know, some people get annoyed, like oh, people asking me questions and where are you from and all this stuff. But. I, I, I really love the opportunity for conversation. And I find that, you know, um, there's the majority of people are, are I believe, are, have, have a lot of good in them. And, you know, just because they've been sort of subliminally told something their entire lives, it's natural for them to believe that or feel that way. And so if I have a chance to change that perception, even by something so small, um, I'm so excited about that. You know, um, the people like I just think about all the people that made a difference in my life uh, through my journey and the little bits and pieces of things they did. And like they may never know that I ended up becoming a Muslim, but their their words, their actions impacted me. And so I hope to just, you know, and I, I don't do it for that reason. Like I try genuinely to just be a good person because I want, you know, to do what's right. And I want God to be pleased with me as well. But um, this is like a side benefit, I guess, that I hope that when I represent Islam to the people around me in one way or another, that it's a good representation. And um, I haven't really had, with that attitude, I have not really had many negative um, interactions. So I feel like the way you come, up, come across, like whenever I walk outside, I try to hold my head up really high. I walk with confidence. I smile to people. Um, you know, I present myself in a certain way. And I think that makes a really big difference because whether people talk to you or not, they get the sense of who you are. And if I had been like shy and embarrassed about like, oh, I'm a Muslim. What are they going to think? What are they going to think about my hijab? What are they going to say to me? You know, then you're inviting that negative energy from people outside you. So it really depends on you. I feel the experience you have to a large degree depends on how you, what you expect, what you intend, and then how you present yourself when you go out into the world. And I think that I really hope that other, so many more Americans will have the experience I did and realize that, you know, even if they don't accept Islam, realize that Islam is not something foreign. Islam is not something bad, but it is, like you said, another religion in uh, amongst so many other religions. And it's actually like, when you look at it, it says that it says, Oh mankind, it's meant for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Islam is a beautiful way of life. And in fact, uh, I have uh, the audience asking some questions. Maybe I can uh, post their question out here. One is, um, why can't a person just be good without religion? Uh, can't they just be kind 
and nice <laughs> they, why do they need the religion to be kind that's one question another one uh guy uh, okay it says here uh what is the main reason people revert to islam quickly where many countries are doing a uh, huge propaganda against islam and muslims that this okay. is a question from the audience <laughs> okay nice questions um so the first one why why religion why can't you just be a good person so if you're a good person, so if you're a good person without any faith, you don't believe in God and you just are kind to people around you, then the only result you get from that is your is your kindness and the way that it affects the other people around you, the way it affects you personally in the moment and in this life. But if you think if you want to know really the answer to that question, you have to understand why are you on earth in the first place? So you can't really answer that question without knowing why you're here. So if you're only here to be kind and then you die and you turn to dust, fine, right? But how do you know there's not more to this life than, than that? And in order to know whether or not there's more to this life than that, first of all, you have to open your eyes and you have to look at all of the signs around you. Look at the world, look at creation, look at the science that's coming out that explains like how the human body is created. Like, do you know that we have uh, the bottom half of our retina have specific cells to receive the specific morning light that comes from the horizon over the horizon. Wow. You're just <laughs> so knowing the purpose will answer your question. So if there's sorry, no you need to you, you need to go back a sentence. I think the the stream uh, got cut off halfway. Okay, so yeah, yeah. Um, my point really is just that if you want to know your purpose and no, sorry if you want to know if it's okay to just be nice then you want to know what's your purpose if you know your purpose it will answer that question for you um if you're just here out of nothing and by chance and there's no point of your life then yeah go ahead and just be nice right but then what's the difference if you're nice or you're not nice there's no difference there unless just for your own satisfaction so i say you have to know the purpose of your life and you have to actually work to find that out you have to open your eyes be open curious and willing to accept things that may not be what you want to accept in the first place. I'd like to add to that as well. Um, that, you know, uh, what sister shared, uh, I think it was very beautiful that she said that now retinas have different cells that take in the morning light. I didn't know about that until you said it. Uh, oh, yeah. I think that's beautiful. Um, the other thing is, okay, the question I like, I, I like to tell the audience is, you know, ask the audience, you know, how do we know what is good when we have no form of measurement from the creator like for example you know you are using your own intellect to decide what is good right um based on social norms maybe right maybe you think oh yes we should do this yes we should do that because it's good and the effect is the consequence are good you know um but that is what society tells you right that is good uh, for example people in the past used to even marry young children um and they thought it was good, right? It was good to marry young. But now today, you say that is without consent. You know, it's not right. <laughs> so if you use social norms to be your, you know, how to say your baseline of telling you what good is, then, you know, it changes all the time because it's a man, man decided, you know, men men who came up with this, this thinking, right? But now the creator is telling you, this is the rules and these are the baseline that you need to follow. So that would be a more solid foundation of truth and uh in in the essence you know you know even in the, the bible you know, um they say that you know heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass um 
in the Quran, you know, Allah also says that, you know, Allah is not a person who changes his mind because he knows exactly everything to the the, 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 the little details, that, right? right? Not a leaf falls in the forest without his knowledge. So in the essence, you know, the creator is someone who knows everything. Okay, so uh, that's my, my, my part of that. Ad. So the second question uh, regarding um, yeah. people reverting to Islam quickly. Yeah. Um, okay. So how do we overcome this huge propaganda against Islam and Muslims? Well, you know, I think that, first of all, it's, you know, it, it, people can become very fearful of it. Like, oh, no, they're telling everyone Islam is bad. But actually, the people who are, are um, there are so many people that had it not been for this bad propaganda, they would never have ever had the need to, to learn about Islam and they would have never accepted Islam. I hear story after story after story of, of people who converted that the reason they converted, it initially started because of the propaganda, the negative um, press that they, they heard about Islam. And so, you know, things are not always what they seem. Things that are, you know, people may attempt. And it's, it's part of that thing that like, you know, how you were saying God knows everything. Um, you know, nothing happens without his will, first of all. So relax. And, um, you know, they plan, but God plans as well. And so just because the plan of the human beings looks very daunting and it looks scary and it looks powerful god is always more powerful and so so many people's um their lives have been changed in the opposite way that the propaganda intended because of the propaganda in the first place like me one of the i probably i don't know if islam would have been in my project if i, if I ever would have researched it had you know not to say that there's a good thing behind 9 11 many people died and it's, it's awful and horrible but had that campaign that happened afterwards against Islam ha not happened, maybe I wouldn't have been so, um, you know, adamant about like, I need to study Islam now. And so um, mm -hmm. in the negativity, there's, I mean, so many, so many people who become Muslim is because they tried to prove Islam was wrong. They believed it was wrong in the first place. So I wouldn't worry about that as much, but also like one more thing, just quick, um, you know, for the Muslims, like we were discussing earlier, like, what are we doing in the world? You know, um, what kind of impact are we having? There's very powerful people out there who their goal is to, to spread negative information about Islam or negative really lies about Islam. But, we, um, you know, alhamdulillah, you have this podcast. Um, but I think that whatever we do in our lives, whatever our roles are, we have a chance to make an impact, a positive impact. Um, through our own behavior and it doesn't have to be through like dawah or podcasts or you know um, uh, handing out books or something it could just be from the way that you live your life I think that's uh, very beautifully uh, said um, and also to add to that you know um, all of us are probably you know thinking the same to follow up question like people say why do bad things happen even when you know there's God around, right? Mm -hmm. And you you perfectly said that you know God has bigger plans for us and things that we can't see. Remember, He's the Creator. He's He sees the seen and unseen, where we only see what we can see with our five senses, maybe, right? So, mm -hmm. so having said that, you know sometimes we we use all our intellect and our ability to to think that we know everything, but the Creator knows better than us. I think you perfectly yeah. say that. Yeah. So, uh, finally, would you uh, be kind to share with us, you know, our uh, an advice, um, maybe to new reverts and also to people who are searching for the meaning of life? Okay. So first, I would say people searching for the meaning of life. I'll start there because they haven't got there yet. Um, 
I think the biggest thing is that you look into yourself for your for sincerity. Um, when you ask, when you want to know the truth, like, do you, first of all, do you really want to know the truth or do you want the answer to be something that you feel comfortable with and that sort of um, v uh, validates your, your beliefs that you already hold? And so being really open-minded, stripping away your bias, stripping away your attachment to the results of your investigation is critical. So you have to be sincere in your desire to actually know and then you have to be willing at some level to um, to accept the truth, even when it doesn't look how you expected it to look. So those would be the two advice for those people. And I believe that if you have that sincerity and you want to know, you're going to be guided to the truth no matter what. And when people are not, then, you know, God is God is the guide. He's the one who guides. And so if someone's guided, it's because God guided them. And if someone's not guided, then there's probably something going on there where they're actually not really fully willing or fully sincere about their desire to know the truth. Um, when you become Muslim, some advice, um, take a deep breath, <laughs> um, like take it easy, you know, um, and remember always what led you to accept the truth in the first place. I think that's very important because your faith will go up and it will go down. There'll be um, pressure from outside you and sometimes from within you. And um, going back to your original reason is really uh, helpful because it makes you remember like how you got there in the first place. So for me, like if people tell me things and they make me start to feel like, you know, icky about something like, oh, like especially sometimes with some of these rules or some of the, you know, fat fatwas and stuff. And you start to feel like, I don't know, like, is, did I do something wrong? Did I make the wrong choice? You know, you have to go back to what brought you here in the first place, because that's the real foundation. That's when you were connected only with who is your creator and why are you here on earth? You have to go back to that every now and then. So that would be like a number one advice. And then number two is like to be easy on yourself. Like people outside you, they don't know what's inside you. They only see the surface. They may intend the best thing for you by telling you to what to do or trying to help you in your journey, but you have to really know yourself. So you have to say thank you to all the advice outside take what works for you but if you can't do it all it's okay you're it, this is between you and god and so you know every step you take towards him is a positive thing and if you're not taking 20 steps and so and so next door says you have to be taking all of those 20 steps that's not them that's not their responsibility like they have i have a good intention but that's not their responsibility and they're not going to answer for your actions you are so you have to do it at your own pace and you have to follow the trajectory that feels better and natural to you. Because if you do everything, but then next week you decide to leave Islam, it's, there's, you know, it's a, it's a mistake. So take your steps really gradually and methodically and make sure you listen to your own heart and really maintain your connection with the creator. Your connection with the creator is the most important thing. And then your connection with the Quran, with you reading and understanding the Quran, not what other people say about the Quran. So those would be my, my biggest advice beautiful and beautifully well said and in fact you know just to also add on to what you said you know allah said this i mean in, in the hadith it says that you know if you take one step towards me i will take 10 steps towards you and if you walk towards me i will run towards you that's how much allah will will want to you know be with you and to to walk with you in this journey of, of your life as well i think you you made such a beautiful impact on us today as well with your story and all the beautiful advice that you share with us. we thank you so much uh, sister danielle 
for for doing this for us and you know to share a beautiful story um so uh we've come to the end of the stream everyone and inshallah of course we will bring sister danielle back um if if we have you know have any questions for her as well and uh we'd like to thank you all for tuning tonight um next week will be the last episode of uh season two for the shahiro nightlife and we'll be going on a break for a while and inshallah we'll be back again so tonight i'd like to wish everyone assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh thank you for tuning in good night everyone <laughs>